The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. Happy New Year! <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to Scissoring Isn't a Thing. Hi, Darren. Hi, Liz. How are you? Happy New Year. We're out of 2020. I'm excited. I'm elated. I am just really looking forward to 2021. Although I don't want to put my foot in the mouth, in my mouth because I have a feeling like it's still not going to be great. It's just going to be better. I think everybody thought like a flip was going to switch, which was ridiculous as it as no matter what right. year it if it, it, any year that something is going to change, you know, so drastically so quick. But I do want to be positive. Yes. Even though I'm in the dumpster fire of Los Angeles that is like a complete and utter meltdown. I also did something very stupid recently. I downloaded the Citizen app. Have you no, ever heard of that? I told, no, don't do this. And the reason I'm encouraging <laughs> people not to actively do it, okay, the Citizen app essentially is like, a public forum that people write when there's like either a minor petty crime or like a big crime, like around you. So it alert you. So, so it's it, like next door, unlike, but it's only crime focused. Yes, but it can it kind is. of be any crime. Like, you know, I live across a Chase Bank and it could be like, you know, robbery across a Chase Bank, right? armed gunmen or something. But sometimes it's just kind of like, person around the corner has a knife unclear like if the knife was a swiss army knife or a butcher right. knife like they don't necessarily go into specifics but like my ex had downloaded it one time when we were in brooklyn and we got alerts all the time and as great as it was to kind of know like what streets to avoid it's also like ignorance is bliss to an extent because then it makes it you so paranoid is. yeah well in i downloaded it and this is not an exaggeration within i think about 10 15 minutes 50 unmasked Trump supporting oh, anti-vaccine, like whatever, yeah. stormed the Erewhon on my block, which is a fancy <laughs> supermarket. Then well, to, to be fair, if you're gonna if you're gonna be a Trump supporter and you want to get attack all the liberals, they do happen to congregate at Erewhon. So oh my that God, just I might know. be smart on the Trump mob mentality, Liz. Like if it you're was going crazy. for liberals, go to Erewhon. I know, but then they <laughs> let when they got in trouble there, they went to my favorite Trader Joe's, which really pissed me off. And then behind me, it was like woman with a knife. And then it's like down the block, it's like restaurant on fire. I'm like, what the fuck have I done? This is not, this was a mistake. So that's definitely coming off the telephone. Yeah, it's too, <laughs> it's too scary for me to do anything. How was your New Year's though, despite maybe being in the middle of nine knife fights around you and not knowing? Was Did you have a good New Year's? I did. I, I made an insane seafood feast. Of course you did. I had shucked oysters, the prawns, Dungeness crab cocktail. What? I did mussels and white wine with tartine bread. Why I made my I own Caesar you? salad. I'm very confused. <laughs> very confused. So that was good. And then I made a hot fudge Sunday bar. And I made hot fudge and whipped cream and I had all different flavors. And so Rachel just has the best life, is what you're telling me right now. <laughs> yeah. We're we're well fed in this house. Seriously, like my God, like you are well but fed. But then I passed out at like twelve oh three. What about you? I had my brother and his girlfriend over. His, so his so I think I've told you this this before. My brother and I are three years apart, and we both date women on technically opposite coasts who are ten years older than us. So his girlfriend lives in wow. New York. We got to unpack that <laughs> one of my, these days. My parents are like, what? the fuck did we do? And I was like, I know it's your fault. Like it's clearly, you know, this is something that's in the water, in the cart blood. Um, so his girlfriend lives here. Nadine moved to New York this year to live with me, but like technically she's still from LA. So we started dating by coastally. So we just had them two over. They got COVID nice. tests. I did not cook, but I heated up Ooh. some really good Trader Joe's appetizers, which have the best appetizers and snacks of they all do. time. So they do. We drank a little bit. Uh, we played code names, which I had never played before. Have you ever played this board game? I don't know what that is. It's actually really fun. It's essentially, it's essentially like you're you're on a team of two. It can be like multiple players. You're on a team of two, and there's like a bunch of words, and it's kind of hard to explain without visually. But you have to see kind of how like giving one word to your partner. How many okay. clues, how many words that they can guess belong in your one-worded clue in that? 
So it's it's, so it's almost it's just like an advanced like Pictionary charade. Yeah, or like advanced boggle in a weird way oh. because you're trying to figure out what words. But like, yes, it is advanced. It's advanced in a lot of ways. So that was fun to do as we were drinking. Um, but it was low key. It was chill. We watched Andy and Anderson all day, all night, which was which was hilarious, which was very oh, fun on well, CNN. I think then on that note, yes, should we talk about? The queue, because I think that's. <laughs> Let's get that right mine. into the queue. Hey guys, we want to welcome you to the queue, where we share some highlights and happenings within the LGBTQ plus and ally community. And don't be shy, listeners. We want to hear from you too. If you've got the scoop or have someone you want us to shout out, feel free to shoot us a DM at SIAT Podcast on Instagram or Twitter. Okay, Darren. Yes. My queue of. The weekend was going to be AC Squared, otherwise known as Anderson Cooper and Andy Cohen, who are basically like your zaddies. Yeah, I'm not going to say that because that makes me want to throw up, but they're my two gay dads. Yes. Okay, fine. Yeah, zaddy to daddy, (laughs) which is, I think, actually what Andy said at one point. And then Anderson was like, what? (laughs) You know, I think... Twitter went insane. So for those of you guys that are listening that somehow were living under a rock, these two lovely gentlemen were hosting New Year's Eve Times Square extravaganza. Yes, as they've been doing for the past like five years. So they've been doing yeah, there was like quite some all time. Types types of people involved. But I guess like you're gonna have to give us all kind of, if you will, if you can, some of the inside scoop. Cause it just looked like Andy, your boss, was like fuck it and just party like really party hardied and I was really here for it well I think it kind of started I mean listen that's who Andy is like Andy's just always a really good time Anderson always says that like you know Andy brings the party with him when he walks in the door he's just fun he's a really nice guy like and and Anderson obviously is this he can giggle and he can break down, but he's a serious journalist. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like highbrow, lowbrow on the approval matrix of Andy and Anderson, but they're both brilliant people. Uh, But so last year, I think was the first year that they started doing shots at the top of the hour. And you know, like Anderson- How many shots though? Just one time, one shot. They do an eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, right? So that's five. Then this year they took a shot with Desus and Miro. So that was six- then I think that they took a shot with Mariah Carey, which was seven, maybe even with Snoop, which could have been eight. So they were hammered by the end of the night, which obviously is just perfect internet fodder. But like the thing about Andy and Anderson is because I know the skill essentially of like, it's four hours of content, four and a half hours of content that these people are going. Like it oh, is, God. you got to put it's so, so much stuff in and- Nadine is really good friends with Sherry O'Terry. Nadine, my girlfriend, is really good friends with Sherry O'Terry, who plays an amazing Barbara Walters, who was on Andy and Anderson. Also, I have a Sherry O'Terry story. Do you I really? Feel like I've told you guys. Yes, I got hammered with her at Sky Bar in LA. And how that happened was I was her bartender at a restaurant down the street and she came in with some guy friend of hers and she's like, you're so fun. When you're done with your shift, come meet us at Sky Bar. And I looked at all of my colleagues and I was like I'm gonna go fucking do it she's a legend like what are we talking about SNL just royalty and she uh and and so so Nadine and her are writing the sketch when Nadine was out in was she out in LA yeah when she was out in LA and they called me so we all collaborated on the sketch that she was writing together so I got to like I'm not gonna say I mean like Nadine wouldn't say that I contributed but I wouldn't say that because I'm with like Nadine's a stand-up comic. Sherry fucking O'Terry doesn't even need an introduction. And I'm just like a podcast host. So I was like, I'm not going to say I contributed, but it felt really cool to be a part of it. She nailed her sketch. We were talking about it with Andy. Like the whole night was just so fun. I mean, that's the thing about New Year's is like you're drinking and doing stuff with those guys in the background. But the thing about Andy and Anderson is like you want to pay attention to them. So that was good. It was a nice, it was a nice chill evening. You know, it was, it, it, it is what it is. Like, I'm just glad 2021 is here and hopefully this year will be better. But I actually wanted to bring up an interesting news article with you before we okay. punch out of here uh, to introduce our next guest, because this is actually the, the, something that's been on my mind. Did you see prom on Netflix, James Corden, Meryl Streep? So I didn't, but remember, or actually, we actually, sorry, remember, 
Darren and I, full disclosure, we did record a couple of episodes, one that you're going to hear in a couple in yeah. a few moments with some guests. And we did record with Bob Harper, which is coming out next week, guys. So definitely come and stay tuned for that. But I believe we talked about prom on that episode with Bob, which made me not want to watch it, actually. Yes. And so, so talk I wasn't, to me about so it. So I wasn't sure if you had sort of like then been like, okay, maybe I'll check it out because no. an article came Bob, out. Bob made me not want to watch it. <laughs> Fair enough. Because an article came out literally, you know, a day ago on NBC that that essentially says, should straight actors play gay characters in parentheses, it's complicated. And so while many street actors have been praised for their performances in LGBTQ roles, most notably, let's talk about Tom Hanks in Philadelphia. I mean, that was like right. a role of all roles. Some argue only queer actors Beth have the- Porter. Op- oh my the God. The word. I can't believe she, by the way, I, I restarted the L word this weekend. See, I've watched that four weekend. times now. I did that at the start of last year. You know what I restarted? Um, Allie McBeal. If you can believe that, we'll have to dive into that later. But so some (laughs) argue only queer actors have the authenticity to bring these parts to life. And it mentions prom because obviously James Corden plays a, a, a gay guy. In early December, Netflix dropped its highly anticipated musical comedy, The Prom. Meryl Streep, Nicole Kidman, Andrew Reynolds, who's gay, and James Corden as fading Broadway stars who set out to help a lesbian teen take her girlfriend to the prom. Okay, so the film helmed out by director Ryan Murphy also gay, got mixed reviews, but some lambasted as homophobic and offensive because of the casting of Corden, a straight actor, and what they saw as an aggressively flamboyant caricature of a gay man. Yeah, that's what Bob was saying, and that's what I've heard. Yes, and so I wanted to know, like, what you thought of this in a lot of ways, if you had an opinion, I didn't see prom, but obviously I sort of, I saw enough of the trailers and enough of the teasers to kind of understand what flamboyant character they're talking about. I think it's that quintessential stereotype of that. I'll I'll say, you break me down what you think, and then I'll tell you my kind of two cents on this whole thing. Okay. Something that I was actually going to text you about, Darren, was this show that I've been watching on HBO Max called The Neno, which I'm loving. It is about this trans woman who was a very famous sex worker, performer, entertainer, personality in the 90s in Spain. The series is based on a book that was written by a trans woman, Valeria Vegas, I believe her name is. Uh, she's stunning. And all of the actors in the series are trans women, which I think is so important to the story. And, you know, nobody can really bring that experience like a trans woman herself. And so while I definitely am kind of all about the best actor, you know, plays the role, I think the reason why there is so much criticism about straight actors playing LGBTQ plus characters in film and TV is because there's been such a lack of representation in the past and they weren't given the opportunity to play themselves. You know, I think Veneno, I cannot stress how amazing it is enough. I think everybody listening should watch it. It's very entertaining. I'll say that, but it does bring, you know, into question this, idea that, you know, we talk about constantly on the show, which is that representation really matters. And who can tell these stories the best is likely the people who've had those personal experiences. Yeah. And I think Veneno is a perfect example of a series that absolutely should be performed by trans women, trans female actors, as opposed to cis male actor, you know what I mean? Like, or, or cis women actors playing trans women. Like I, I, I think it's a case by case thing. And I think it's really complicated, you know? And I think above all else, I always, you know, from an entertainment perspective, want the best actor to play the best role. But I think we do need to take into consideration a lot of different factors, which can get complicated, but, um, I don't think there's a perfect answer. I will definitely uh, watch know. Veneno. That sounds great. I actually had a great it. So. will love it. I can't wait. I actually started, before I get to my opinion, I actually started, I may destroy you on HBO Max. And oh, oh man, that takes me, that like, it's hard to watch. Trigger warning though. I wish there was a trigger warning on that show. Yeah, in general, it's hard to watch. It's important to watch, like in a lot of ways. It also shows rape and sexual assault, not just with women. So that's also an important thing that I think gets kind of misrepresented. A lot of gay men are raped and a lot of men can be raped and black yeah. men. And, and so it's a very interesting thing. My whole take on this is like, this feels a little too much 
like a little bit what we were talking about with Ashley Gavin, where it's like a little too much policing within our own community. You know, it's acting. It's a skill. You're supposed to be playing something that you aren't. Like, that's kind of the point of it. You know what I mean? Because if we're going to say that if we're going to have a gay character or a trans character or a bi character or a gender nonconforming character, whatever it is, who isn't like a cis heterosexual person, only be the like only cast a trans actor to play someone trans or a gay actor to play someone gay. I just feel like then the reverse has to be true. That like a lesbian cannot play someone who's straight like that. That doesn't that feels wrong. Like it can't just be this double standard. And then you know, what is acting then? You know what I mean? It's not supposed to be that you're playing yourself. You're supposed to be that you're representing another side of things. That's why I think it's just, you should let the best actor prevail regardless of their, of their skin color, their sexual orientation. I don't know. I mean, listen, it's, it's a complicated thing. And I definitely think there are certain nuances to it. I mean, certainly if you're going to do something like uh, what was the HBO show, Veneto, that you... Veneno. 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 You know, if that's so about trans experiences from this, like, doc point of view, then I think there should be an argument for that. You know what I mean? No one wants a cis white male coming in being like, this is what it's like to be trans, right? But if you're playing a certain character in some sort of role, I do think it's important to stretch your ability as an actor. And it might might be up to the gay community to decide, like, wow, they played a piss poor trans person or like this isn't what a lesbian experience is. But to like denigrate that actor for doing it, I just don't think is going to move the needle for our culture in any sort of way. I agree. That's it. You know, that's that's all I wanted to say. That was a good one, Darren. I liked it. That was a good one. And, you know, I was on, so we're recording this little intro Saturday and I was on Good Morning America this morning talking about Season 13 of RuPaul's Drag Race, which I watched uh, last night. So we can. Which we talked about in the queue when I talked about Gottmik. Gottmik, yes, absolutely. Who flawless makeup last night, I got to say. We'll have to do oh, like a little like crazy. RuPaul breakdown. Um, but as I was waiting to go on air at Good Morning America this morning, I saw Karamo was on there. So it's actually a perfect oh. segue uh, to introduce Karamo Brown to this podcast. He came on, sweetheart, interesting story. You know, we talk a lot about how we have to get things right in our in, uh, in the gay community. We have to make sure that, you know, we're we're responding in every sort of way. We accept everyone. But sometimes that isn't always the case. And Karamo yeah. has a really interesting story to tell about it. And we're excited for this next interview. Right, Liz? I was really excited. I was standing. I know you've interviewed him a few times and you know those guys, but I've always. Yeah, I just love. The glow up from, you know, Philadelphia real world to <laughs> queer eye to the whole to the whole nine yards. And he couldn't have been lovelier and very direct with us, which I always really appreciate. Did he go from daddy to zaddy and Anderson went from zaddy to daddy? Is that what we would say? Is that right? Kind that of? is correct. Thank and you. thank you for naming the episode. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Darren. In that yes. moment, I will go right <laughs> <laughs> right the the title daddy to zaddy daddy to zaddy and all right well without enjoy further ado here's karama brown welcome to scissoring isn't a thing is scissoring really not a thing i thought that's what lesbians said it is a thing darren it's a thing Okay, Karamo, let me introduce you first because there's a lot to get to with scissoring. So (laughs) today, I I think I can call you my friend, Karamo. You know, like we are friends. We are 100. I think we are friends. We are buddies. We have Emmy-nominated host and culture expert on Netflix's three-time Emmy-winning hit series Queer Eye. Honestly, this guy is absolutely fantastic. He is a sympathetic sympathetic talk therapist wrapped inside a life coach and zipped into a fast fashion bomber jacket, according Ooh, to The New Yorker, which yes. is literally why I want to date him. Lauded for his ease <laughs> and natural comfort in relating to different types of people, Karama was tasked with making over the hearts and minds of the individuals they help on the show by helping them to confront and grow beyond internal and external issues. Welcome Karamo Brown to Scissoring Isn't a Thing. Hey, hey, hey. Here we go, Karamo. <laughs> Okay. All right. Yes. All right. I'm a lesbian. Liz is bi. You've said as you came on the show that you felt like you were a bad homosexual because you weren't sure scissoring was a thing. Yes. And your question is like, it's not a thing to you or you thought it was a thing? I thought it was a thing. I thought it was something that, you know, 
I don't watch a lot of lesbian porn, but sure, Karamo, sure. Okay, sure. I think you're the I think you're the only person that doesn't watch a lot of lesbian <laughs> porn. Exactly. So I'm just like, um, I thought that was like a main thing, like sort of like gay guys always is like sort of anal or oral. It's like I thought it was like scissoring fingers or dildos and oh, so I, okay. I probably sound so stupid i'm gonna get so no oh, no this, no but this i didn't is know good. i don't know any better okay this well, is why i love you we get canceled yeah. every day on this show because i feel like i'm the worst gay because i don't know all the terms and that was how liz and i came up with it because i was saying that scissoring wasn't a thing and liz was like scissoring is definitely a thing and so we had to literally start a podcast on this and i think there's so much pressure in the gay queer community to get everything right and to know everything but sometimes 100%. stereotypes are important and they matter for a reason. And even in our community, I feel like it's important to kind of take everything with a with a grain of salt and, and, and take it with good natured humor. Like Liz and I argue about scissoring isn't a thing. Liz, we've been having this argument for like two years. I mean, it just never ends. <laughs> I mean, the net net Karamo is that it's like it's everybody's journey. Yeah. Some people wanna some people wanna roll around and bump vaginas. Other yes. people don't. And I think that's what's so interesting about not only sex for all types of people, but queer, you know, culture as well. We do ask if everyone will identify themselves on the show. Do you mind identifying yourself or how you like to identify for the listeners? Sure. My um, identify as a gay man and my pronouns are he, him. And I feel as if scissoring would probably be the most fun thing ever in the world. So if I had a vagina, I would scissor all day long. Because as gay men, if I rub my penis against another guy's, that is such a hot motion to me (laughs) that I'm like, I'm like, yes, I would scissor all day long. So for me, just let you know, I know that's not what you asked me. You were like, let's identify in pronouns. I'm identifying that I think scissoring would probably be the best thing on the face of this earth. Yes. Can I tell you, can I confess to you one thing I said before you joined the Zoom to Darren? I was like, I want to scissor the like four guys that Karamo keeps kicking it with on his Instagram. Y'all were like in a <laughs> desert or in a pool. I don't know. Y'all had wigs on at some point. I was we like, hey, I will scissor kick you guys until the fucking next you next stratosphere. I boy. Oh boy. Oh boy. Well, two of the guys in those photos are bi. So <gasps> they would, well, one's bi, one's pan. So they would definitely be down to scissor with you. Okay. I don't think my wife would let me do that, but you never know. Honestly, yeah, no, listen, it's 2020, bitch. She's sick of me. She's okay, sick of you me. never know. She is so sick of me. You know, Karamo, I actually want to get right into, I know we're, we're, we're pressed for time, and I, and I want to get right into the meat of the episode because it, it's actually the first question that I have for you. You've had such sure. an illustrious career on television for really the formative years of your life. And earlier in the episode, we were talking about stereotypes and how I think that sometimes people in the queer community are a little too sensitive about them. I think that they exist for a reason, just colloquially Mm -hmm. and having a conversation. How important do you think stereotypes are in a career? And what I mean is Queer Eye, for example, is playing on the stereotype that gay men have a better eye in fashion and culture and design than maybe even straight women, certainly better than straight men. But normally those types of design, eye, cultural, empathy types of roles are the roles that women and females play, but women Mm -hmm. aren't in the cast for Queer Eye at all. So do you think that Queer Eye helps to break that stereotype or embrace it? And is it okay to really lean into that stereotype? I think that is one of the best questions I have ever been asked in the four years of being on Queer Eye. And I'm Whoa. not even joking with you. Oh, God, like, Karamo, don't, don't, don't give her more juice than she's it's, already it's, got. It's, that's real. that's on the, my resume now. Yeah. Exactly. It's, it is. It's like one of the best questions. We've been asked a lot of stuff, but that is like, um, I think that that stereotype is important in one area only, which is there are a lot of people who are in middle America, the South, like where I grew up, that are so closed off because of their relationship with religion to LGBTQIA people that sometimes, you know, the medium of television and what we all do with podcasts, you know, writing, journalism, anything, TV, it helps ease people into a community that they might not have been exposed to. And I think that we are a very digestible, and I hate saying this, palette for those people to feel like, oh my gosh, 
gays aren't trying to kill me. They're not trying to hurt right. me. But what I do think is important is that it, it does get harmful in the sense of that you then expect every person in the LGBT community to act or be a certain way. And I think that as we get as we get more and more exposure, we get more opportunities, I think that is expanding now. We've seen that with like the fact that even on our cast, if you look at the original cast, it's more diverse culturally. We also now have someone who identifies as gender non-conforming. Those things would have never been seen. And we, the five of us have always said that if they ever did a reboot again, that it should include a trans person. It should include a woman. It should include like a, the whole breadth of the sort of alphabet mafia, you know, like get someone right. in there of all of all of our experiences, someone who's pan, someone I don't, I just think it would then give people like more of a sense to be like, oh, oh my gosh, they're so different. And so I think stereotypes work to a small degree, but then if you get trapped in them, that's when I think it could be harmful. Well, I love that you bring up the original Queer Eye and how important representation is on television. We actually recently had Carson Kressley on the show who I'm mm-hmm. sure you know well, another Queer Eye uh, member. Yes. And he was, we were talking about representation on television, in particular in reality TV. And he said that for him, seeing Pedro Zamora on The Real World San Francisco was huge for him as a viewer. And obviously, you know, you were also on The Real World as the first openly Black gay cast member. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like, you have a sense of responsibility specifically to the black gay community because you've been kind of the first, you have had a lot of firsts on reality television to kind of represent that community. No, not anymore. I used to, I used to okay. feel this, uh, I used to feel this extreme pressure that I can yeah. be honest with you. I'm just being real. I used to feel yeah. this extreme pressure to like, feel like I have to be certain things to represent first the LGBT, I mean, the black gay community and then the LGBT community as a whole. And as you both know, being in this platform, it is impossible because yeah. there's always going to be someone who's going to be upset with what you do. So my ex, who I was with for 10 years, was the first white guy I ever dated. Not because I wasn't attracted to white men or men outside of my race, but I felt this pressure that every person in Hollywood, per se, I'm doing air quotations, that was of color dated someone who was white. And mm. there would always be this backlash of like, why can't you ever see two people of the same race walking down the carpet or whatever? And so I literally would dictate my love life based on this sort of like, well, I have to be a black guy that only walks down the carpet with, you know, another black guy. And I do believe representation matters. And I do believe that you need to see all of those images. But when it started to caused me to make decisions about my life and and how who I'm loving is when I started to see that it was unhealthy because it's like an unhealthy standard to live up to. I'll even go further than that. I'm a black gay man, born in the South, have immigrant parents. And so I've never had the leisure of walking away from spaces that don't want me or don't see me. So my whole career has always been based on not only am I going to do what I think is best for me, but I'm also going to try to walk into rooms like political organizations, I'm gonna do whatever and say, hey, you don't see me, you don't like my community, I need to get in here and work with you to change some stuff. And gays, there's a lot of gay people that hate that. And they're like, you can't do that, you don't talk to this person, you can't talk to this, you can't do this because how dare you, you're only helping them. And I'm like, if you think that my gay black ass is trying to help people who are trying to hurt us, then you're crazy. It's always yeah. tried to, to get in there and change stuff. And I say all that to say is that it's like, I can't live my life for what other people think I should do because I'm gay and black, because then I start making decisions based on them and not following my heart. Totally makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a there's an, an insane amount of pressure on celebrities to represent huge communities. And I think you couldn't have said it better. So thank you for that. Oh, thank you for the question. You're the culture expert on Queer Eye, which to me is is probably what would me to be the hardest job on Queer Eye out of all of them, because 
culture is subjective and it's very different and it's all around us. Everyone has their own individual culture while also having this maybe part of a religious organization that offers culture. And we were sort of joking about how you were saying that you're a bad homosexual because you weren't sure whether or not scissoring was a thing. And you're like, oh my God, I'm going to get canceled for this, which truthfully is part of the culture now is getting canceled for even just sometimes asking a question. I'm sure you know this better than anyone in your expertise from everything that you've experienced, but also what you present on Queer Eye. What is the difference between cultural appropriation and cultural appreciation? Oh, that's a very fine line. And right. it is one that <laughs> I promise you, I literally sit here in Hollywood and sometimes I'm watching shit and I'm like, oh, girl, I want to come for your ass right now. And, uh, <laughs> it's, 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 it is really, 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 you know, it's hard because I think for me, I try to look at intention and I try to look at hurt inflicted. Because I think sometimes without a lack of knowledge, some people just assume because of pop culture and how we sort of, everything is pop culture down people's throats. I think people get to a place where it's like, oh, this is okay because they haven't had an opportunity to educate themselves. And so in those moments, I say that fine line of appreciation and appropriation, I can look at your intention and say, well, your intention wasn't. To appropriate, it was just because you were part of the culture. You were part of you were part of that. And this is what gets me in trouble a lot is that I always try to see the best in people and the best in situations right. and believe that things can be better. And so, yes, appropriation is real, but I always try to look at the intention behind it. Were you actually just a part of this culture and you thought, or um, not a part of it, or beside this culture often, that you thought like, this was cool, this was appropriate. And so your intention wasn't wrong, but once you were educated, did you then continue? And I think that's where I hope more people, I, this is kind of answering your question, but not, is because I try to less go to the feelings of like, so that we can heal versus like, I don't know. I don't know. It's so try weird. Try and cancel Sorry. everyone that might not have, like, cause you know, yeah. I'm, I'm curious just because like social media, while that's opened up so many doors for people to feel accepted, you know, recently Elliot Page came out as trans and Liz mm-hmm. and I were talking about the, the, you know, the publicity around it was very positive in a way that maybe five, 10 years ago, it certainly wouldn't have been, it would have been alienating. But I also feel like social media makes everyone so quick to judge other people without taking into account their intentions or, or, you know, like I could have easily jumped down your throat for asking, wait, scissoring's not a thing. I'm like, how do you not know that? And this and that, whereas like, (laughs) that doesn't help the conversation for me to treat you like you meant to be hurtful. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes. Well, that's, what, that's exactly what it is. It's, you know, I have always said that I think that the one thing that our generation, I'm kind of generation X, I guess I'm on the that cusp of millennial. But I think yeah. the thing that we're doing now that I think is wrong is that this cancel culture. I've okay. said a million times, I believe in council culture, not cancel culture. Because I think when you counsel people, you give them an opportunity to come to you and learn from you and do their own research. And I think right now when you cancel everyone, all you do, listen, I know a lot of people have been canceled. I've seen them in this industry. And all they do is when they get canceled is they stay silent for a little bit and then they go find a group of people that believe the same thing they believe and nothing changes. Right. And especially those who are in power and have money, they don't change. They just, they're just like, okay, you canceled me. Great, I'm gonna find people who believe what I believe. And I think that does such a disservice instead of saying, let me bring you in and show you how your actions are hurting. And I think that's something that we should be practicing more. More counseling, less counseling. You talk about uh, evolution and counseling. And and I read the cover story that you did um, for The Advocate last year with your son, Jason, who I love on social media, by the way. Okay. He's hysterical. <laughs> I'm, you can tell him I'm really here for it. I, I follow. <laughs> He's very funny, um, very expressive. I'm down. Yes, very. And you talked about your initial reaction reaction to him coming out as pansexual and it was you were really open and really honest in that interview which I really appreciated and it wasn't totally what I thought to be honest with you what your reaction would be can you describe a little bit of your reaction sure and what maybe has evolved since then yeah sure so you know I'm going to preface this with this people assume because you're part of the LGBT community is that you're so educated on every part of our community and what I know for a fact as a black man is that our community is both racist, homophobic, and sexist. 
in a, yes. so many areas. And I, and I tell people all the time, if you want to see how divided our community is, just go to West Hollywood or what's the area in New York, Greenwich Village or whatever. Greenwich Village, yeah. And yep. walk into any club and it's nothing but shirtless white guys. And you look around, you're like, why are lesbians not included in this space? Why are not Black people and Latinos in this space, really? Where are the Asian people? Why are there no real, tra- there's not trans people included in this space? Why is it just like only drag queens? You know what I mean? And I'm, I'm not saying that I'm like, you know, shitting on our culture, you know, or the community because I love our community. But we're not as educated about each other as we should be, which is why I love this podcast, because it's like I sit down with my lesbian friends and we have conversations or my bi friends or my pan friends and we try to have conversations. But then we don't always talk about the things that affect us in our community. And I think we need to be talking about those things more. And so when my son identified as pan, I realized that even though I worked in social services and I worked with LGBT youth, I had never come across a youth that was pan and I didn't have any friends personally who identified as pan so i didn't understand what it meant so when he said i'm pan i was like i don't know what this means and it just i and the confusion that i had turned into sort of like not disapproval because i didn't disapprove of him because he's always i've always loved him but it was very much like oh hold on i i don't understand this i'm confused and i felt like my mom and my or my not my mom my dad for a second you know my and my dad is deeply homophobic and for half a second i felt like him cuz i was like no 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 i don't understand what are you talking about here you're what are you you're joking this is not who you are well, and i started like to do all these things fill in the blank and like basically kind of deny his identity and i had to like quickly get off the phone do all the work I know how to do that I try to teach parents to do and process and say, I got back on the phone 30 minutes and I was like, you know what? That was the wrong way to handle that. I'm sorry. I need to go educate myself more on what it means to identify as pan. I would love for you to educate me as well as I'm doing my own research. I love you no matter how you identify. And I had to get back. And, yeah. and it took me half a second. And I'm thinking if I'm someone who knows better and it took me about 20 minutes to kind of get myself back to where I need to be, that's why I have empathy sometimes for people who are on their journey who don't aren't intentionally trying to hurt their children, but who just need some time to be educated. And and then I get in trouble there when I say that because it sounds like I'm defending like homophobic parents or family members, which no, I'm not. No, but again, but-, but again, that's what it's so interesting. And God, you have been such a dream in the last 20 minutes that we've had you because this is why we have this podcast, Karama. This is why we talk about these things, and this is why we ask questions and we give people the opportunity to ask what scissoring isn't a thing or, you know, <laughs> I, I, I don't think you need to, to defend that. You know, I think you're right. Some people just don't know and they need a minute. They need a minute to educate themselves. But why don't we encourage people that perhaps if they're initial, we can't control other people's reactions and emotions. We just can't, Exactly. you know, Agreed. we don't know what Agreed. the trauma that they, you know, generational trauma or, you know, their own trauma that they have which can more often than not dictate their emotional reactions to the people that they love. So if they need a minute, why don't we encourage people again? I love what you said. Let's this counsel culture. Let's encourage people to get counsel, take time, educate themselves and to evolve. So I don't think you're endorsing homophobic parents. I think you're saying like, Hey shit, you need to like, do the do the work, you know, to the, re-educate they must yourself. Do the work, because that's what I did. I had to do the work because I stopped myself in that moment. And I was like, hold on, Karamo, you're not educated on this part of our community. Go educate yourself right now before you say anything that's going to make your son feel isolated or damaged. Because at the end of the day, as a parent, as someone, if you love someone, love can't go away because of one statement they've told you. And so you have to really understand, like, where's that Where's the hate? What is the hate bubbling out of? It's bubbling out of a lack of education. So I was like, go educate yourself before you hurt your child, you damage the relationship. And, but I just, I, what I, the reason I was transparent about it was because I was like, if me, I'm like a career gay. Like, you know, since I graduated from college, I am like, every, every show I'm on, it's like, hey, I'm a homo. Hey, I'm gay. What's going on? <laughs> like, you know, this is how I make my living. You know what I mean? And, right. I'm like, if I'm a career gay and I still had, I just still wasn't educated. I was like, somebody who's not in the culture, how uneducated they are. And I'm just like, it's okay to admit you're uneducated. And it's okay to go do the research and work as and, and make sure that you're not damaging a relationship. Because my son and I, we are so close. We're still close. And part of the reason we're still close is because, and this is another part. I was also thinking, again, as that career gay, my son lived in my house 
has been with me on every show, has worked, you know, when I worked at the LGBT center here in Los Angeles, he would come every day after school. He was around nothing but LGBT people, friends, family members. And my son still didn't feel comfortable at telling me he identified as pan until he was 22 years old. And I'm always like, come on now, you're in the middle of Omaha or Ohio. Of course your kid is really not gonna feel comfortable, but I'm like, my kid didn't feel comfortable. And I have nothing but an inclusive LGBT community around me. And he still didn't feel comfortable telling me how he identified. And again, it goes to show it's everyone's journey. Don't pressure anyone on their journey. And also like parents understand this ain't about you because for half a second, I also took it like, oh, hold on, what, what does it say about me? And I'm like, this has nothing to do with me. This is about his journey and him doing it when he wants and when he feels empowered and letting me in when he wants to. That's why I hate the term coming out because I think the process is letting people in and he let me in when he wanted to. He didn't come out to me. He let me in when he wanted to and that gave him the power to say, this is who I am. I love me. You want to get on this journey with me? Yes or no? Anyway. I, re- I really like flipping the coming out on its head and as a, uh, you know, and doing it as like a letting in, because I do think it's letting someone into your, to your world, but to your point, as someone who had to let people in himself and also Uh be that parental figure, I mean, isn't, and I'm not a parent and neither is Liz. So my, our expertise or advice on this isn't going to really play like you would, but how much of it is like you, yes, understanding it's not about you, but also getting the expectations that you had for your son out of your head and letting him have his journey And Jason, understanding that your initial reaction might not be how you are all the time. I mean, isn't it also on the kids to also understand that maybe our parents don't have the reactions that we want firsthand, but that they can evolve too. And that's going to come from us saying like, hey, it's okay. Like, I'm not scared to be pansexual. Like, you know, my mom wasn't pleased that I was gay necessarily because she thought I was going to have a harder life, which... To be fair, is true. It is a little Mm -hmm. bit of a harder life. Doesn't mean it's a bad life. Doesn't mean I shouldn't have let people in or come out. But part of it, I also feel like from a parent to a child is both coming together to understand each other and have more empathy. Is do you Uh, see uh, it like that? I hundred percent see it like that. Like I think that was one of the things that I learned early on, especially when I worked with LGBTQIA youth, especially is. is literally the grieving process. You know, you have to mourn. Parents are mourning the life of a child they had. And I, and this is not to ever excuse or dismiss anyone's feelings or what someone else does. But if you've spent 20 years in your own mind, dealing with coming to terms with loving who you are, those same 20 years, your parental figure has been building an image in their head of who they thought you were. And in an instant, they have to mourn what they mourn the life that they thought you were going to have, the safety they thought you were going to have. And those things get convoluted and start to come together in a way that's unhealthy. And it comes out in an unhealthy way a lot of times because a lot of parents don't have the capacity to process all those things. Like I'm mourning, I'm mourning the, the person my child told me they were. I'm mourning their safety. I'm mourning their future. I'm mourning all these things. I'm mourning grandkids. Like a lot of parents don't even realize they're starting to mourn another generation that doesn't even exist. And so it does take time. And I think it does take a bit of empathy on both sides. And this is not to say that people who have been hurt or abused and mostly physically are supposed to like sit around while a parent or family member is abusing them. But I think that if in the initial conversation, if you've had 20 years to process or 10 years or 18 years or 30 years, and now you're opening up to people, I think there has to be an exchange of empathy there that allows them to have their time to grieve, to understand, to educate themselves. And then that gives you the understanding that like, okay, their initial reaction isn't about me. It's about them and what they're going through. And that gives you the time and the space to kind of let them go through what they need to. And hopefully they'll come around. And if they don't, the second or third conversation, then you can say, oh, you know what? You're just really homophobic. I'm out of here. But I do think there needs to be an exchange of empathy in that beginning stage of like letting someone in. Yes. I couldn't agree more. (laughs) The answer is a resounding correct. Yes. 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 Karamo, I, I, I feel like I went so deep with you all. 
First of and all, did all these things. I'm that's so what we wanted, Paramo. Trust me, you would be shocked, but people get real deep, real quick. Well, on that's this what podcast. we want, Paramo. We want to know I you, and we you want two are you two are exceptional hosts. So oh, I believe thank you. Thank you. <laughs> well, thank you. Well, we do have some fun questions for you that are quick, some that rapid we, fires, real that quick. We love to end with Darren. Will you tee it up for us? It's called Scissor Me This, and it's a rapid fire, just round of fun, queer nonsense questions that you can answer yeah. in literally less than a minute. Okay. I'm going to start it off because I'm a big reality fan, as you know, and you were on the challenge, which is my favorite show of all time. Uh, Okay. So you're on the challenge again. Did you see that BS that they did put it out? I'm like, oh my gosh, I thought I left my past in my past. No, see, your past is, is, is amazing though, Karama. Let me just talk (laughs) about that. Okay. It's amazing. I mean, we could really bring, we could bring up all, uh, we got the Wikipedia. I don't even want to, yeah, real world road rules. I'm in. Um, but let's say you're on the challenge again, but it's queer eye edition. Who is your biggest threat to your challenge game of your cast? Ten. Ten friends. Ten would have the most, he would have the most social game. Like Tan is extremely social. He also can see all sides of things. Mm. He's also physically equally as strong as the other guys. Like he would, he would be able to keep up in every physical competition and then also completely be able to like play the mental game as well. Like people think that Jonathan is the glue of the Fab Five and then right. he is not. The glue oh, of the no. Fab Five is Tan. I can tell you 100%. I can Anytime see that. we have an argument, the family of us, like, you know, we're, we love each other. We, we don't have any big issues. But anytime we have an issue, Tan is the one that everyone runs to and calls. And he's the one that works it out. He I can is, see that. Tan's trustworthy. It. That's why he'd be a good player. He's, he's loyal, yeah. but he's got good social game. Okay, that's social true. Game, Go ahead. Yeah. And okay. then he can also do the physical stuff. Right. WAP or body yaddy 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 yaddy? <laughs> the body yaddy 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 all day. I'm going to put my body yaddy yaddy into your four guys on your Instagram hanging out in Palm Springs in the desert. I'm down for that. I don't vagina shame. I'm not one of those gays that is like, ew, vagina, gross. But I will say in that line when she says, it sounds like macaroni and cheese. I'm so (laughs) thankful in that moment that I don't have a vagina. And I just don't understand what that is. I don't actually understand what that is either. And that makes me feel a lot of weird feelings. Oh, God. I'm so happy with this. Um, Darren. Okay. Last dick pic you received in your DMs, Karama. Five seconds ago? Like, they come through all the time. Oh, Lord. Especially now that I'm single. It's like, hey, you're single. Do you want a dick pic? Hey, (laughs) I would love to take you out for dinner. And here's my penis. And I just want to tell every man out there, yeah. There is such thing as an ugly penis, and most likely, <laughs> you have one if you're sending your dick. Oh, that is so fucking I, I gotta wild. say, right? Guys like, think, what's the percentage? 80% of dick pics are actually terrible? I would say 93.4. Wow. <laughs> That's more specific, yeah. <laughs> 93.4% of dick pics are the worst things ever, and your penises are all ugly, and I don't want to see them in my DMs. Oh my God, I'm dead. Yes, thank you. Guys, listen up. Listen up because we do, we hear about this often. This okay, is a public well then. service announcement. <laughs> public service announcement. Oh my Seriously. God. Okay, well, I have a queer eye one, but I feel like you might have already answered this with Tan. Mine is if you got stuck on a deserted island, who would you want with you? Is it Tan? Oh, no. Oh. I'd want Bobby Burke. Oh my gosh. No, in a competition, Tan is it because he can play the games, he gets social, mm. physical. But Tam would be like, oh my gosh, he'd be over it if we're on Desert Island. He'd be, he'd conk out before I would. And I, I don't have a lot of that. Bobby would, is so inventive. Mm. And not just because he builds houses and all that stuff or whatever. He just is always thinking about creative ways to do little things that I feel like he would be like, okay, here's how we're eating. Here's how we're doing this. You know what I mean? And yeah. I would be right there like, emotionally supporting him so that he could do all the work and get us off the island. It'd be a Yeah, Bobby would like build a boat out of sand and then yeah. sail on it. Like he would do that. And it'd be like monochromatic and like all like just yellow cool. tones. It would exactly. be good. It would, it would be just good. be cool. Okay, most and last but not least, your most surprising cultural experience you've had on Queer Eye. Ooh, um I think we need a lot more. I'm, you know, we need to start like I'm over. I'm a Christian man. I, I do, you know, go to church. 
I don't subscribe to the Bible though, but I'm tired of like, you know, the straight Christian story. I'm like, can yeah. we see Jewish people, Muslim people, atheists, anybody else? So I think biggest is when we were in Japan, I didn't realize how, you know, some of the cultural differences in Japan, like lonely death syndrome, which I learned yeah. about, which a lot of people die alone, no sex marriage, like a lot of people, and this is not a generalization. So anyone from Japan or Japanese culture, please don't come for me. It's just what I kind of learned there is that they, a lot of couples don't have sex and they're fine with it, even after like a year of marriage. And it's like, wow. So um, it's a shock. That was a shock. Darren, Darren is about to We got to introduce scissoring to that culture. That's clearly exactly. the Completely. only the only result. Yeah, that's it. Well, Karamo, Completely. this has been a, a fucking honor and a pleasure. Thank you so much it for really giving us your time been. and being so open and honest. And uh, oh my God. we hope that you I'm scissor so eventually in your life just so you can get educated on it. We just... We want you to be able to scissor. It's not just so right, not right just down the hill. It as guys. Give me if you tell me okay. how, I will try this and report Honestly, back. Honestly, I, I be, think wait, I think I'll it's just I'll be your just... queer on the street and like <laughs> report back. Okay, I'm just letting you know. I feel like <laughs> scissoring for guys is maybe just like rubbing your no, maybe Liz, please. I don't, I don't even want okay. to hear you finish that sentence, Liz. I was trying <laughs> to think about it, but I don't Give me a minute. Is it our, I'm Is it our I'm, butt or our taint? Will we rub our taint? Oh, maybe you rub the yeah, taint. it's rubbing your taint. It's That's rubbing exactly your taint. We need is. a full report back. Karamo. Okay, I'm going to rub my taint like, as soon as <laughs> I find a guy. Find a guy. I'm, I'm telling you, they're in your Instagram. I'm seeing them every day. I'm like, oh, I, Lord, you got okay. it. I want yes. none of those guys to rub my taint. So, okay, fine. You're not uh, painting right. a house, you're tainting a house. And that is what we will that's what we will call it. Karamo, can you let all of the listeners, I'm sure they all follow you anyway, but can you let them know how to be involved in your taint journey <laughs> or watch it from a distance? Yes. Um, if you'd like to see me learn more about me tainting, um, no, I'm joking. <laughs> um, you can He's you like, can my OnlyFans is. Yeah, my yeah, OnlyFans right. is taint. Right. Karamo, no, um, it's <laughs> at Karamo. I'm at Karamo on everything. And um, yeah, so. Thank yeah, you. Thank, you, thank you so much. But I will tell this, anybody who follows me, I'm the worst on social. Like I, I post because I me have too. to. So I'm. Uh, if you want someone better to post, follow is JVN. So actually follow me at JVN. Because oh, that's the account I actually follow for entertainment so oh, he's gonna get a lot more taint dms than he well, asked for I would, say, I would also say you should follow karamo's son jason who is hysterical oh, yeah. on there you go i here yes, i am my son is actually he loves social media he's super funny at rachel sideburn which he goes by rachel he goes oh. <laughs> because it was a girl who had sideburns in high school and they used to make fun of her and he was like reclaim it bitch and she was like no i'm not going to so he was like i'll claim it for you your sideburns are sexy so now he goes for 12 years he goes by rachel sideburns no i love him I that's what i'm saying rachel. i'm telling you well please Fucking tell love him please tell yes. jason rachel sideburns that i'm a huge fan and for all the listeners follow us siat podcast on twitter and instagram rate like subscribe and we love you, Karamo. It, we love you. It's really love been a huge honor. Well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Scissoring Isn't a Thing. See you next Tuesday.